All right, you got me? We good? Did I do something wrong? We're here? We got it. All right. Hi here. All right, cool. All right, yeah, first, uh, as always, thank you so, so much for inviting me back in and giving me an opportunity to do this and just to share what God's uh, speaking to my heart. And uh, I can't tell you how much it means to me to be able to uh, exercise and grow in something that God's calling me to and gifting me with. And all of you are patient with me and you're kind to me and you guys are encouraging and affirming. And that is family. That is what the kingdom of God's all about. And I just thank you for investing in me because it means a lot. So I just wanted to take a chance to say that. Uh, usually when I prepare, the Lord will give me a word, and he'll be like, I want to talk about this, and he'll start working on me and challenging me in my own life, and then I go into the word, and I'm digging through it, and it's great. You get to go in there and wrestle with the word, and he wrestles with you. This week, man, he pulled up a dump truck and just went, boom, dumped all the scripture on me, and uh, it's good. It's good stuff, and, and truthfully, you want to hear from the word of God. You don't want to hear what I have to say. Uh, and that's just how it goes. So uh, from this point on, it's the Holy Spirit's job to deliver. But uh, Holy Spirit, I just invite you in. I just thank you for these people, Lord. And I pray, I've been praying for days that you would just meet every single person here where they're at and just give them an encounter with your spirit, with your glory and your power and your righteousness and holiness, Lord. We pray for healing and freedom, Lord, and just vision. And I just invite you in and thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, all right, so uh, I'm talking about the power of generosity. We're talking about family and fellowship, and there is nothing like generosity. Uh, generosity busts down walls. Uh, it, it just dismantles the whole entire like industrial system out there that the world's got us plugged into. Uh, it's good to work, it's good to do things, but after a while I feel like we become little cogs in a machine where we just sit there and just start to take and we start to just focus on doing and getting and collecting and building and, and it's natural, you know, it's good to plan and stuff, but we lose sight of some of the wonderful things that God's deposited in our spirit and the doors that he's opened and uh, we just kind of get fit into this machine that's just rolling. But generosity, I think, is the thing that knocks us out of the tracks of that whole system. It makes the Christian different than the world. Radical generosity changes lives. It literally, things that you do, little tiny seeds that you plant turn into massive, massive movements, massive things through the ripples of time with the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does things, man. You do things every single day through generosity, through the power of the Spirit, and you have no clue what God is doing with them in this side of heaven. But when you get over there and you make it home and you see what God did with your offering of generosity or your care for a brother or sister or just crossing the street just to encourage someone, like you have no idea what that means. You know, and so I just want to encourage you to see it 
as uh, generosity is vital to the growth of our families. It's vital to the growth of a fellowship. And it's really vital to the church as a whole, as a fellowship. We are different. We are called to be different. We are marked. We are anointed and called to be different. So where I'm going with this is I want to start off first, and I personally want to bless you, like the Lord was speaking blessing over you like you wouldn't believe in preparation. This. You guys have been so faithful in giving and generosity. Not just you, but this body, this assembly, priest fellowship has been so generous. You guys have given thousands of dollars to fight human trafficking right? You have literally reached out to save lives through stuff like that. You have invested in smaller things like faith on foot. I see it online, like the kids, the teens. You have no idea what they're going to grow up to be. They could be senators, congressmen. They could be anything, you know, like astronauts, doctors saving your life. Like you're investing in children. They are future kingdom builders. They are kingdom builders now, but they are future leaders. You guys uh, have the hub out there. You invite the community in. Um, you guys give and tithe missionally to all kinds of things. This is a very, very generous body. And I just want you to know that God sees that, and he honors that, and he is going to reward you. Uh, in preparation for this, um, God was speaking to my spirit. He was, I was just like kind of hashing out like what my future looks like. like as if anyone knows, you know, it's just like, what am I going to do, God? Like, you know, like, where are we going? You know, I get all crazy. And uh, he's just like, I am revealing myself to my creation and my people and the people that don't know me every single day, everywhere, in all different ways. And you may only see a sliver of it, right? But right now, I feel like we've got a big view of it. There are, there are things erupting on campuses, in high schools, on major motion picture screens. People are hearing about Jesus Christ. God is revealing himself in a huge way right now, right? And we're seeing it. And we're just like, whoa, man. Like all these times when you don't see it and you're like, where are you, God? Why does it seem like the enemy is always winning or always pressing us back? But right now there is a display of the Lord and the, the glory of Jesus Christ in creation, all right? So what this is speaking to really is maybe those times when that you don't see that much of it. Like the part in your heart where you're like, man, like I don't see a whole lot of that going on. Well, he is always, always doing it. And what he wanted to remind me in prayer is he's like, I am always revealing myself in creation. And I choose to use my people to do it. That, that, that's the open door that we're all like, oh, I guess this, this is where we go, right? This is where we become part of the story. This is where we get to partner with what God's doing in creation. So take heart. God is always, always opening doors and revealing himself to his people in creation. And I have heard in prayer uh, whether it makes you uncomfortable or not, I have heard in prayer that God is planning. He has already, but he is planning a future use of this body to reveal himself in this region. Praise fellowship. You will be used. 
better yet, you will be called to answer the call to help reveal the glory and the promise of the gospel of Jesus Christ in this region. So I don't know if any of you seriously can confirm that you've been hearing the same thing. I don't know if any of you have been getting words, you know, that of how he's going to use this body. And, and I see heads nodding. So for those of you who are kind of sitting back, like unsure where we're going, guess what? <laughs> You've, <laughs> there's a plan. I don't know what it is. I don't know when it's coming. But the Lord wanted me to jump in and to show you kind of the theology of generosity, maybe, maybe a journey of how the spirit, the human spirit, wrestles with generosity and to prepare us to be able to just let go and let God when he chooses to open that door. When I was a kid, my dad used to say, give until it hurts. <laughs> and now as a dad, I get it now, just kidding. Um, but he used to say, give until it hurts. And my father wasn't saved. So he had a very worldly view of giving. And the truth is, is it does hurt giving taxes, giving, you know, at work when you're not appreciated, giving a favor to somebody who cut you off or grace to someone to cut you off in the parking lot or out at a red light. You know, like the neighbors that mowed just a little bit too far over the line, like whatever, you know, like you give until it hurts. But in the Christian community, giving I mean, it's, it's an absolute truth. Sometimes it does hurt. Sometimes it puts you in a place where you don't think you're going to have enough, where you don't know how you're going to make it, where you're called to do something radical to help somebody else. So, like, I just always remember having this view of giving until it hurts. But I don't really know that that's what God's saying. I think God's saying, like, I want you to be joyful. I want you to give. I want the world to see Jesus Christ through your giving right? Think about the model of generosity. God the Father gave the Son, and the Son gave his life. There is no better model of generosity than that. That is the golden seal, and by proxy of that model, we should be overflowing with generosity, okay? So, I don't know that giving until it hurts or the model that I grew up under really fits the model that the Lord has for us. So if you hear anything at all and you're a note taker, I want you to know this one thing. God wants each and every one of your hearts, all of it, every single bit of your heart. But he wants willing and stirred hearts. God uses people who are willing and who are stirred to move. That's the end. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, so uh, then the other thing is, and, and i got to land this plane too, but um, I want you to know that the Lord, like when I was preparing through this, the heaviest thing that I kind of came across, the thing that challenges me, that I want to challenge you with, is our view of the way we operate as the people of God. I want you to understand that we are a part of a movement. We are not a part of an institution. And when you look at the church as an institution, you sit there and you start to think about how it meets your needs. 
or how this institution needs to be built or crafted or shaped or look in order for it to be the right one for you or what things that you hold in your heart that, that other people have to meet to be able to fellowship with you. But a movement, yeah. look at a movement, right? Look at, the, look at all these movements. They're talking about movements. Movements are radical. Movements are just abandoned. They're just jumping in, and it's just like you get caught up in the goodness of what's going on, and you're able to just come alongside what other people are doing. That's the outflow of authentic generosity. It's usually a sign of a movement. But think about this. As the children of God, you are a part of the only movement that matters. The only movement that's going to last for the entire amount of time, the human history. Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the coming of the Son, the risen King, the forgiveness of sin the freedom to sinners and people in bondage. That's the movement. The movement is a promise for a new life, a new opportunity. So I want you to get a view, a proper view, because that's been challenging for me. Like I have these things with church. I don't like the way sometimes things at church look. I don't like the way this church does this or that church does that. But that's an institutional view of the church body. And, and I'm not telling you to reckless abandon, lose all your theology, and get caught and swept up in movement. But if you stick to the guidelines of what God's telling you, you will see that this is a movement from Genesis to Revelation that you are actively a part of, that you have been born right now to be a part of, gifted to have a hand in, and you are a part of seeing the fulfillment of all of creation yearning for the coming of the King. So I want to take you to Exodus 36, 2 through verse 7. I got to get going with all of this because these are all scriptures. So, okay, so what you got is you got Moses. You've got the people of Israel to set this up. He, they've been through the Red Sea. They've been pursued. They're out in the desert. They're going. Moses goes on the mountaintop. He encounters the Lord. Face is glowing, right? And uh, the shining face of Moses. And then Moses comes down. And the Lord tells him, I want you to build a tabernacle. I want my people to have a place where the spirit of the living God can dwell with them. Right? So right now, Moses is commissioning people to build a tabernacle, a sanctuary, a movable sanctuary. They're going to make the ark. They're going to make all the things that the Lord has asked him to do. And I, there's... Uh, to, Go before this script, uh, the text. It says in the uh, back in uh, chapter 35, uh, when it talks about the offerings for the tabernacle, Moses is out there and he's saying, whoever is of willing heart, let him bring it as an offering to the Lord. And all who are gifted, artisans among you, shall come and make all that the Lord has commanded. Down to verse 20. He says, all of the congregation of the children of Israel departed from the presence of Moses and all whose heart was stirred and everyone whose spirit was willing, they brought the Lord's offering. We go to 36 verse 2. Then Moses called Bez Bezalel and Aholiab, 
And in every gifted artesian in whose heart the Lord had put wisdom, everyone whose heart was stirred to come and do the work, and they received from Moses the offering which the children of Israel had brought for the work of the service of making a sanctuary. So they continued bringing him free will offerings every morning. Then all the craftsmen who were doing the work of the sanctuary came for, for each from the work he was doing, and they spoke to Moses, saying, The people are bringing much more than enough of the service, which were... Uh, for the service of the work which the Lord commanded us to do. So Moses gave a commandment that caused it to be proclaimed throughout the camp, saying, let neither man or woman do any more work for the offering of the sanctuary. And the people were restrained from bringing from the material that they had, uh, the, for the material that they had was sufficient for all the work to be done. Indeed, it was too much. So uh, this is an Old Testament early picture of abundance, overflow, generosity. People stirred. They were consumed with the idea of being part of something huge. They were invited into a process of a, building a place that the Spirit of God would dwell with man, right? So they're sitting there, and there's anybody who has a skill. That's the cool thing. I think about it. You all have skills. Some of you, whatever it is, you, you could be great at speaking, sewing, cooking, whatever, like teaching whatever gift you have. And now it says artesian, but it's people of talent, people that have unique gifts. Uh, whatever it is that you have, like this would be the kind of thing where you're running up saying like, hey, like I can paint. I'll paint anything you got. What do you got? You know, and like the stirring of God's people with the promise of his presence they come running to give everything they got to the point where Moses, it's actually impeding the process of doing what God asked him to do. The stirring in God's people produced an overflow that actually made it hard to complete the thing that God asked them to do. That's pretty amazing, right? So one, God calls people to use their gifts. God through Moses was calling people. Moses, it was smart. Hey, if you do something well, come do it, right? He wasn't begging. People jumped forward and volunteered, and they brought so much that it overflowed. It was an outpouring of generosity by them being authentically and literally who and what God made them to be. They just wanted the presence of God, and they got excited about the part of being a part of something magnificent. I feel like that's where we should be. I feel like if we sit there and really consider the power of God and creation and what's going on, especially when you see all this darkness and all this garbage out there, and then you see the light of what God's doing in campuses and all over TV and Facebook and everything, man, we should be like, whoa, this is crazy. I want to be a part of this. I want to herald and magnify King Jesus. I want the world to see Jesus Christ. So, so when Moses asks, they were, uh, they, I feel like in this example, they were pursuing the presence of God. So hold on to that. You know, like this is uh, a really great example about God's people joining the movement of what God was doing because they were slaves just before that. And now they are people 
who are free, living in a desert, but they're free, right? And they are able to create and build and be together and choose how they're going to do things. God gave them the ability to do great and mighty things. And one thing, one thing that I think that is really incredible is that he called the people who were stirred and who were willing to do this great and mighty work. But did you notice that the people who weren't stirred and who weren't uh, of a, of a, who were not stirred and willing, rather, uh, did you notice that they got to be a part of the benefit of it? So the people that were stirred and willing did all this work and built this tabernacle for God and for his glory. But the people who weren't stirred, they still got to benefit from that. That happens in church. That happens in our families. That happens in our community. That happens everywhere. There's people who are stirred who are like, I'm going to do this great work. I'm gonna they see the opportunity to partner with God. And there's people that don't. But you know what? In this, God let those people who didn't still benefit from the work and, and benefit from the presence of God in that tabernacle. And you know what he told them? Like what I feel like God's telling them? Like you go and you use your talent and your obedience and you build something magnificent and something great, something that challenges their faith because they lack it. Yeah. Elevate their faith by working on to the Lord with everything you've got, right? All right, let's take this to number two, my second one. I've got Acts 4, 4, 32, uh, 4 32 through 35. This, this is an incredible view of a New Testament movement. Jesus has come. We've got, we've got uh, great and mighty things happening, and the, the Holy Spirit has come. And uh, right now you have uh, verse 32. Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say any of these things he possessed was his own. But they had all things in common. And with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon all. Now there was... There, uh, nor was there anyone among them who lacked. For all who were possessors of the land or household, uh, houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet and they distributed them as anyone had need. So, New Testament, right? This is still the same movement. God's moving. God's revealing himself. He's bringing his presence. Now he has brought his son and these people, this long journey of the people of God, are just going along with it, not always knowing what's happening, but there is one thing that is constant. They are constantly being invited in to this process. They are constantly being offered an opportunity to sow and to give and to build and to go and to say and do and share. Like, God is a God of action. He is not... Some, but he is looking for people with willing hearts, people that are willing to be stirred and willing to step out. And in this moment, there is a character, an ethos, a characteristic or a spirit of, of culture where it says they were of one heart and one soul. We know what that one heart was. That one heart was Jesus Christ. It was the Holy Spirit. They were in community and bound together tightly by the spirit of the living God. Yeah. 
we, every, every one of us, we're so different. We have different jobs, different talents. All of you are better looking. <laughs> like, like, it's crazy. Like, we're so different. But you know what? Every single one of us have the spirit of the living Lord in us. We are tabernacles of the spirit of God. And that unifies us, even through our differences. And through that, that destroys and dismantles any argument the enemy has for us. Any challenge he can put in front of us. He can come at me and oppress me and do terrible things to make me feel terrible. But when I'm surrounded by 100 or 200 of you with the Spirit of God in you, we are very, very strong. And the Spirit of God is very, very strong. Now, they had things in great in common, and I want to point out that when they had things in common, it says here a great power was released, a great power to witness and to proclaim the glory of Jesus Christ. Isn't that what we're here for? It's literally the only job we have, and we're united in that one thing. So like the institution of the church or the movement... I'm not cheapening the church. I'm not, uh, I'm not bride bashing, as we joke about it in, in seminary. They say, don't bride bash. Like, we're not bride bashing. We love the church, but this is a movement. You are a part of the greatest movement in the history of humankind. Jesus Christ stepped into God himself. God in flesh stepped into the timeline of human history. And we became part of that story. And we are unified. And that's just, I'm just beating it to death. I'm just like, just like, come on. Like, like, like Joe, you've said it 30 times. Like, I just want you to know that great power to their actions and their witness was manifest by their unity in the Holy Spirit. Their unity and knowing who and what they were, not even individually, but as a group. So we talk about family and fellowship. Our strength is in the Lord. Our strength is shared in that movement of Jesus Christ. So I'm moving on. Uh, there's, there's a verse um, in Deuteronomy 8.18, and it says, You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, covenant which he swore to your fathers as it is in this day. So in Deuteronomy, there we go. In Deuteronomy, God is speaking through Moses again. And he is telling his people, I have given you the ability to do great things. I have given you the ability to create wealth. I've given you the ability to teach, to cook, to do whatever it is, to produce all that you can give it stems from God. Now that takes away from kind of the narcissistic view that maybe uh, any of us could ever have, that if any of us think, I have created this, look what I have done, look at what I own, look at how much I have saved, look at how hard I've worked to get here, here, and there to do this, this, and that. God says, I have given you the ability. You shall remember the Lord your God because he is the one who gives you power to get wealth that he may establish his covenant 
which he swore to our fathers. We need to have that view that all of this that we have to give and to offer comes from God. Because if it doesn't, we're living a pretty sad life and we actually resemble the system that we're not supposed to be a part of. We are called to higher things. We are gifted, anointed, and we are called to resemble Christ. And like I said, God gave his son, the son gave his life, and we need to be ready to radically give and be generous in the name of the Lord. So he's the giver of ability to produce. So in response, we must give. And that is our proper view of generosity. We frame generosity in the fact that it was never ours to give anyway. Everything that we have, everything that we've been gifted with, every door that's been opened, every opportunity we've ever been given, anything, any lesson we've learned has been a gift from God. So when you properly frame that all things come from God for God, man, you can give anything away. You are more free than you've ever been in your entire life. The moment you can let go of the things that are holding on to you, the moment that you can realize that you are no longer owned by the things that own you, man, you can give anything away. And you don't have to worry because our father is a good provider. He's a giver. Look what he's done. Look what he's done through this narrative, this movement. He's taking care of his people. And I just want to encourage you that you will be cared for. So Ephesians 4.28. Ephesians 4.28 tells us, Let him who steal or stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands, what is good, that he may have something to give who is in need. So these people, they were poor. Uh, you know, Paul speaking to the church of Ephesus, they were poor and they were stealing food to get by, right? And you really can't blame them. Like, I mean, if you're starving to death, stealing to live, you know, I get it. But like he's char challenging them not because of them stealing food to live. He's challenging them to change the way they look at things. He's saying, the Lord is your provider. Easy for you to say, I haven't eaten in weeks, Right? I get, I get what they're saying, but what he's trying to say, the focus, he, he wants to challenge them to see a different view, that you are the people of God. You are in this movement. People are looking to find Jesus, and they're looking to you, our leaders of the churches, and you're stealing food. Like, you've got to be different. You've got to be called to be different. So let him who steals, steal no longer. Rather, let him work. Work with his hands. Do a work that's good, that he may have something to give those in need. Again, God's concreting this idea that the less you give, you're a taker. And he's also saying, I've given you the ability to do great and mighty things, to work, to build, and to create. And I'm asking you to get to work in doing something that makes a difference for someone else. I know you're hungry, but, but I'm telling you the ideology of what he's saying behind that actual rebuke was you've got the ability 
to do something. And through that ability, there will be overflow and you will be able to give to others. So I've realized that giving's a lot easier when you got it. All right, let's be honest, right? I'm the kind of guy where, like, look at tithing. I tithe, uh, you know, and, and I believe in it. And, uh, like, I, I'm all about it, and I press myself to do the best I can. But I'm the kind of guy that likes, you know, I can live on, like, 100 or 130 percent with the help of, like, MasterCard or whatever. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Like, uh, but living on 90 percent or even less is tough. So it's stretching, and God calls you to trust him, and he asks you to challenge him, uh, to, to actually put yourself out there. But in this verse in Ephesus, he's telling them, the less that you give, you're a taker, and to use your hands in what God gave you to serve him and to give. Malachi 3, 7 through 10. The Lord tells us, Return to me, and I'll return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you said, in what way shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you in tithes and offerings? You are cursed with a curse. You are, a cur- you are cursed with a curse. For you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. And if I will not open the doors, or open for you the windows of heaven, and pour out such blessing that there will be no room enough to receive it. So this verse, in the long litany of things I'm throwing at you, I just want you to grasp the idea that like the Lord is challenging us to trust him and to give. He's saying that he wants our whole hearts. He wants us willing. He wants us stirred. And we are robbing him when we don't use what he has put and deposited in each one of us for the kingdom of God, for his glory. We are robbing God of the potential that he has for us. Like, I know it doesn't make sense, but God has such high hopes and so many dreams for us and for our lives. And we rob him by not trying everything we can to live up to those expectations. And I don't want to put pressure on you to be extraordinary people, but you are extraordinary people. You are extraordinary people who are called to live magnificent lives that the world should look at and be like, who is that God? Overflow and abundance is what God's promising in this verse. But we can't even begin to process or start at throwing open the windows and a pouring out of blessing that it's so much that we can't contain it unless we're willing as the people of God, as a families and as a fellowship to return to me and I will return to you. We can't even think about the overflow of blessing until we think about returning to the Lord. So I know that we're doing a good job and we're working hard and we're praying, we're fasting, we're reading the Bible, we're doing all these things. But as a fellowship, we have to root ourselves in prayer. We have to root ourselves in the things that, that build spiritual characteristics, Christ-likeness. We have to return to the Lord with repentance and ask him to heal us. And the overflow will, and the abundance will come from that.
2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 12. And if any of you are even trying to keep up with any of these, you probably got that like sword drill badge down in the like the little kid thing when you were when you were in junior church. I was terrible at that, by the way. Oh, so bad. Second, Second Corinthians nine six through twelve. Oh, I'm sorry. Just verse twelve. Oh, I lied. Six through twelve. See, so you're like, <laughs> be a cheerful giver. I remember this when I was in church. I remember my pastor. This is stuck with me. I actually texted him yesterday. Uh, when I was a kid, uh, I just told him out of nowhere. I was just like, you know what? I'm going to be generous with encouragement. I'm preaching on this. So I told him, I was like, I just want you to know that I got an opportunity to speak about generosity and the power of generosity amongst God's people and what he's doing. And I just want you to know that I remember every single Sunday when we took the offering, he would remind us, the Lord loves a cheerful giver. <laughs> right like it's like just a reminder just in case you're holding on to anything in there you know there's an opportunity you know and uh, I just said like you know I've stuck with that my whole life the Lord loves a cheerful giver why because you're willing why because your heart's stirred why because you know that it didn't come from you in the first place why? Because you know that if you give, it'll be given back to you. This isn't prosperity gospel. Prosperity gospel tells you that if you give your heart to Jesus, everything's going to work out and you're going to be rich. That's a lie. We all look at us. We know that's not true. That's a lie. The truth is, is he's calling you to put your hand to work at whatever you're great at, whatever you're good at. Stop robbing God with not living up to a potential that every one of you has. Me, me, this is to me too, but I'm sharing it. Like, like the moment that we don't step into the greatness that God has promised over our life, we are robbing God of opportunities that he can do in creation through us and with us. He will use someone else, but he wants to use you. He wants to so bad. Be a cheerful giver, but I say he who sows sparingly, it's a farming culture, it's a farming metaphors, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountiful will also reap bountifully. So let each one who gives as he purposes in his heart, throw back to Genesis and Exodus, or Exodus and Deuteronomy, the heart matters. Not grudgingly, of necessity, but God loves a cheerful giver and God is able to make all grace abound towards you that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may have abundance for every good work. As it's written, he has dispersed abroad. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. That is the mission. That is the movement that we're a part of. This isn't an institution. We are a part of a movement. It's touching the world. It's changing lives. People are being healed. People are being broken out of bondage. This is exciting. Now, may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed that you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness while you are enriched in everything for all liberally, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. For the administration of service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also is abounding 
through many thanksgivings to God. The amazing part of this is, as he says, let everyone who has it purposed in their heart give again. From the beginning, build a place where my spirit will dwell with you. If you're willing, get on board. Hey, uh, Holy Spirit's here. The new church is growing in Acts. Things are going crazy. If your heart is willing, hey, get on board. We're going to do something different. It's going to get crazy. It's going to be exciting, and it's going to be wild. But if you don't have heart for it, come along. We'll build your faith by living the extraordinary life that God called us to. The next thing is he says, God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, have abundance for every work. When you put your hand to what God's guided you to, he's going to give you what you need to do it. If you do it on your own, you do it on your own. But if you ask God what he has for you and you jump in and you become a part of what he's doing, he will supply all that you need. And through that, you will be able to bless people tremendously. He is the multiplier, he's saying. It's not you. He multiplies the harvest he gives to you. And most importantly in this, remember, the administration of the things that you do, the outpour, the, the, the ripple, so to speak, of what you do, that helps build and supply the needs of other saints in creation in this movement. Your giving helps bump other people along. And it says that it may result in many thanksgivings to God. That tells me that his testimony, his glory is seen through your giving. Many will see God through your giving and through your heart and through what you do for the Lord. I don't want to put pressure on you to live an extraordinary life. I don't want you to feel like, boy, I'm really not living up to all that I could through God, but I kind of do, because I do. Like, I don't want you to feel bad about it. I want you to feel challenged by it. I want you to accept the challenge to do something crazy. Good. Don't do something crazy. Man, that comes back. Do something crazy good for Christ. Give wildly, recklessly. Well, you know, like calculated rec recklessness, but <laughs> so like I went to church last Sunday and man, I lost everything. But um, so I just want you to consider that God has you. He's with you. You are a tabernacle for the living, the spirit of the living Lord. You have been ordained for this moment and you have been gifted to do tremendous and amazing things. The last thing I have for you is I just want to remind you of the story of Zacchaeus. The little felt board down there in Children's Church, right? Zacchaeus in his tree. Everybody thinks about Zacchaeus like, oh, he's a sweet, lovable little dude who just saw Jesus, had dinner with him, and got saved. That's true, in a sense, but Zacchaeus was a crook. He was a thief. Zacchaeus oppressed people. He was a chief tax collector. Not just a tax collector, a chief tax collector. He had the ability to 
increased the tax that Rome was getting and to steal from his people, from God's people. He robbed them. He was filthy, dirty, and he became great at oppressing his people. There was nothing good about Zacchaeus. But when he knew that Jesus Christ was coming to town, he took off and climbed a tree because he's short, and he wanted to be able to see the Lord. There was a movement, and Zacchaeus heard about it. Zacchaeus heard about Jesus and knew this is something I have to see for myself. And he got himself in a tree. He put himself in a place where he would not miss Jesus Christ. When Jesus came through, he saw Zacchaeus. He acknowledged him and he told him to come down. Zacchaeus did it. In that moment, Jesus didn't need to ask Zacchaeus any questions. He just flat out said, I'm coming to your house. And he said, yes, Lord, and he invited him in. And in that moment, Jesus didn't ask Zacchaeus, how much did you steal? What have you done? Where have you been? How did you get so crooked, dirty, broken? In that moment of being face to face with Jesus, Zacchaeus poured out a natural response to encountering Jesus Christ. And it was generosity. He told him, I will restore four times what I've stolen from your people. I will give multiple times to the people that I've lied to. He, in the moment, repented to Jesus Christ and started to say, I will give, I will give, I will give, I will give. What that tells me is Zacchaeus knew it was a gift for him to have the living God with him in his home. And encountering him was an outflow of generosity. And Jesus received him, no matter how broken, crooked, dirty, and how much of a thief he was. He was greedy. But he knew that there was more. And the outflow was generosity. Zacchaeus was captured by a movement. Zacchaeus responded to Jesus. And generosity was the change in his heart and his spirit when he encountered him. I want you to know that you are not part of an institution this morning. You are a part of the greatest movement in the history of mankind. There will be no other movement that will do what Jesus said. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And you are a part of this. I want you to remember that there are Zacchaeuses in our families. There are Zacchaeuses in our churches. There are, we were Zacchaeuses. And they will see God. They will see Jesus through your participation in giving in a movement that's bigger than us. Let me pray for us. Father God, I just thank you for Praise Fellowship. I pray that you prepare them I pray that you prepare them for what you have to come. 
I pray that you tell everybody what they're good at. I pray that you stir their hearts. I pray that you invite them and that you give them willing hearts to step into this massive job, this massive calling that you have for them. Lord, we don't want to miss you. We don't want to miss you, Lord. So I just pray that through our radical generosity that we pour out your spirit on mankind, on our local community, on Russell, Pennsylvania. Lord, speak to everybody in here and meet them where they're at and tell them today how they can become radically generous. Show them little steps throughout the day and throughout the week where they can meet the needs of others and, and just show radical generosity to people that don't even know them, that don't even have a reason to be blessed. Lord, we give because you give to us. Show us how we can be a part of your movement, Lord. We just love you and we praise you and we ask you to just fall on us with power. In Jesus' name, amen. One last thing, if you haven't given your heart to Jesus Christ, you are missing out on becoming the greatest, most generous version of yourself that you will ever be. You will never know the depth of the things that God has put in your heart and in your soul and the gifts that he's given you. So I'm encouraging you that if you have not submitted your life to Jesus Christ to find somebody and pray with us and give Jesus a chance to change your life. Thank you.